to Architecting. I'm your host, Angela Mazzi. You made it. This is the landing pad for raw honesty about connecting your career with your purpose. I'm going to give you the tools you need to be an unapologetic advocate for yourself and others, because if you're here, you believe that the space we surround ourselves in matters and you're committed to project by project building a better world for all of us. If you're with me, let's get architecting. Hey, Bright Lights, it's Angela. So great to be with you today. This is an Ask Me Anything episode. Your chance as a listener to this podcast to send me your questions and I will answer them on air. Today's question comes from Nadia. Nadia owns a small firm in Connecticut and is wondering how she fills open positions and retains the staff that she does have. As a smaller firm, it is devastating when someone decides to quit. I try to pay competitive salaries and offer reasonable benefits and a lot of flexibility for work-life balance, but I'm finding that just isn't enough. Thank you, Nadia, for sending in that question. I think firms, big and small, all over the country are feeling the pain of the great resignation. As an article in Fast Company recently discussed, we're actually shifting to the idea of the great retention. Because one thing the pandemic showed us, beyond the shadow of a doubt, is that it is possible to work remotely, no matter what level you are at in a company. This opens the floodgates for people to live anywhere because they can work everywhere. If you were to go online and do a study and pull up salaries, you would find that a position in Louisville, Kentucky is paid at a very different rate than that exact same position in San Francisco, California. That has to do with cost of living. So a firm based in a large city is comfortable paying a certain rate to its employees. However, what dynamic starts to shift if that employee is in fact living in a city with very low cost of living. That take-home pay has suddenly increased exponentially beyond what local firms could afford to pay. So we're seeing this across the board where there's a lot of poaching of staff luring them away with comparatively higher salaries more benefits, lots of things dangled in order to get to yes in the part of the person who's making the decision, should I stay or should I go? And so what can you do to compete with that? Well, there are some obvious things like supporting work-life balance, giving more flexibility in the job, offering the opportunity to both work from home and work in the office and making that employee feel as stress-free as possible. 
you can focus on visibility. Where are the professional development opportunities? How can someone grow at your firm? Are there opportunities to move up in the firm? Because obviously, if I'm an architectural designer three or four and I want to move up the ladder, there has to be a place. If I want to become a senior spec writer, but you've already got one, I may not see too many opportunities, so I might be attracted to the firm that can offer me that position. But I think the biggest thing is how meaningful the work is. So if you work in a great culture that supports flexibility, that's giving you opportunities for professional development, and you love the work you're doing, that starts to move into much more unique territory, which makes other offers a little bit less intriguing. Because no matter how great your employer is or how much you love your coworkers, if the projects you work on are limiting, you may have no other choice. I was faced with that very early in my career. I had a wonderful opportunity at a very small firm that gave me a lot of professional development opportunities. I've talked about the chances I had to be on boards and commissions and active with nonprofits and visible in the community and learn marketing skills and web development skills. I mean, I was doing things that people a year into out of school would never get the opportunity to do at another firm. So that was great. However, was working on gas stations and convenience stores. After doing that for four years, even though I was a project manager, even though I got a lot of experience writing contracts, going through the entitlement process, coordinating consultants, working in bunch of different municipalities. The work itself was limiting and I just couldn't really justify staying there. And honestly, no matter what they would have paid me, there wouldn't have really been that opportunity to, in my heart, feel like this was an honest yes. So very much think about what the work you take on is doing for your employees, not just the work environment that you create for them. And in this Fast Company article, one of the people interviewed, Lisa Mann, who works for Reigns International, also had a really interesting point to make about diversity and inclusion. So she talked about this idea that diversity might be a snapshot. It's a metric. However, we need to shift to inclusivity. So we're creating a culture for success. But now we need to move into equitable decision making, which is all about accountability which means we have to think a lot about implicit bias in the decision-making equation. How are you making decisions as a firm? What sources are you using to collect data? 
Did you get diverse points of view? And then how are you evaluating that information as someone that specializes in evidence-based design? I know that in the research work, there is so much care that goes into eliminating bias because we all want to rationalize the decisions we want to make. We all know that you can manipulate data. So having a methodology that is accountable, that has rigor behind it, so people can see how there is fairness and an equality, not just equity, but equality happening there. If we're going to bring people back into the labor force who've chosen to leave, we've got to make them feel that they matter. And we've got to give them meaningful work to do so that they're going to be so excited about doing it, it doesn't even feel like work. It becomes a no matter what kind of thing that they are so, so passionate about. The flip side of this coin is fairly assessing performance. And if you're already understaffed, you can feel a lot of pressure to overlook mistakes, overlook underperformers, because whatever they're doing, it would seem it's better than nothing. Well, the truth is, underperformers are the biggest liability that a company has. They bring down the morale of everybody else on the team. They lack accountability for what they're doing. And they end up costing your projects money as well as goodwill capital with your clients when they notice holes and gaps and mistakes in the work performed. So what do you do with those underperformers? In the past, you would have done a performance review with them. You would have given them a timeline of six weeks or 90 days to change their performance on some key mutually agreed upon markers. You might provide more oversight to them. But essentially, you'd be creating a situation where you were highlighting a gap, providing tools, and providing monitoring with the caveat that if this individual could not improve their performance, that they would need to look for work elsewhere. There is a lot of reluctance to do that in today's economy because of what it would mean to lose that valuable person. But don't think to get back to Nadia's question that it is fair to gloss over problems. As we have talked about many, many times on this podcast, failure is an opportunity for learning. And underperformers are simply in some way failing at their job. Therefore, if you can sit them down and help them to see their performance as a learning opportunity, if you can give them that post-mortem, that rear view mirror, 
and start to talk about how different choices they could have made could have led to different results. You're much more likely to be able to create targets for performance improvement that don't feel like a negative assessment of the individual. But you still want to be very, very clear on the metrics they need to be hitting. So you can be supportive, you can be positive, but you cannot overlook gaps. It is going to cost you far more than it's going to cost you if this person leaves your company to have them continue to be there causing problems. I would say, Nadia, definitely make sure that you are doing regular assessments of everyone, taking their temperature on how they're doing, where they're feeling stress, asking them a lot of what-if questions so that you can hear from them ways that they think things could be better appreciating and acknowledging the small wins, right? Just saying, you did a great job presenting to that client today. And I especially liked the way that you presented the pros and cons of each of the three options. Or I especially liked the way you had such clear graphics that made it easy to understand and compare and contrast Those kinds of little compliments, little wins, little acts of appreciation make people feel seen. It also helps to connect the dots between what you know their passions might be and the work that they're doing, which is not always apparent to people. If you're asking someone to do a life safety assessment or a code review, and that isn't their deepest love, how can you connect it back to enhancing the user experience? How could you look at it as a challenge for growth? How could you make the connection to elevating design? Connecting those dots is not always something that you can expect your staff to do automatically. When I coach people, I hope them do that. But if they're not working with a coach, and let's face it, most people, especially younger staff, probably are not doing that. So you have to take on that role as a manager or an owner of knowing not only what your staff is passionate about, but also how to connect tasks that don't seem to have an obvious correlation back to their passions, giving them that meaningfulness, giving them that self-expression that helps them to get that dopamine hit, that oxytocin hit, that level of satisfaction that they're not as likely to get if they move on somewhere else. Personalized attention, but also personalized connection back, that search for relevancy, that way that we help people to connect the dots so that they begin to see how, you know, the things that seem mundane or menial 
the things that none of us get terribly excited about doing are still relevant, are still contributing back to a bigger whole that has deeper meaning for the project and the work that is being done. If you have a question like Nadia does, always know that you can DM me on Instagram or email me at architectingpodcast.com. I'm always happy to share your question and provide guidance online so that others can benefit as well by these answers because questions like these are universal. You might think, well, that's not my question. But as you hear the answer, you see how universal so many of these issues really are. And you can begin to see yourself in the person asking the question. So you might not own a small architecture firm like Nadia does, but maybe you're a senior project architect and you have to manage your direct reports and keep them motivated. Maybe you're a business director and you've got to keep the talent in the firm. Maybe you're a project manager that's got to have a high-performance team. So there are so many connections, so many universal questions, and I love having the chance to explore these issues with you. So I hope this was helpful for you today. I know this is a topic that is a really big one coming up for so many of us on so many different levels in the last year, but it is getting worse. As the economy picks up, the desperation to recruit people is getting greater, which means that we need to put a bigger flashlight onto that retention issue and really make sure that our staff feel acknowledged, cared for, seen, that they're getting opportunities and that they are getting the connection between the work they're doing and a higher sense of purpose. Thank you so much for listening today. I will catch you next time. Bye. for listening. You made it all the way to the end of the episode, which means you are committed to making yourself a priority so you can be empowered to do the work you were called to do in the world. How amazing is that? If you would like even more content just like this, please remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. I would so appreciate it if you left an honest review too. I want you to know I'm here for you beyond the boundaries of this podcast. You can follow me on social media at Architecting Podcast or visit architectingpodcast.com to download some great free resources. Take care, everyone, and stay inspired. (laughs) 